Today's episode is brought to you by Elite Online Publishing, the brand-building publisher. They help you write, sell, and market your book online. Check them out at EliteOnlinePublishing.com. Also by Book Writing Retreats. Spend six days at the beach and have your book written by the time you get home. Check out BookWritingRetreats.com and find your way to the beach to write your book. This is Hot Chicks Write Hot Books Podcast. If you've always wanted to write a book or started a book and haven't finished it, we're here to give you the advice and tools you need to succeed in getting your book written and published. Hi, I'm Melanie Johnson along with my co-host Jen Foster. We have a terrific show for you today, a very special inspirational guest that I have had the pleasure to go to an event with and that's where I met her. But first, I want to tell you to please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We would love to have you be our subscriber. Leave us some um, feedback. We'd love to hear from you and like us and uh, share us with your friends because there's so much good content. We had um, my neighbor the other day had watched our podcast and told me how much she was inspired by it. So I hope you are too. Today we have a special guest, Gary Meekum. And the first time I met Gary, I thought she was a man. I'm sure she gets that all the time. But I met her at a fabulous, a fabulous event. She is a uh, three-time author. She is a speaker. She is so inspirational and motivational. Oh my gosh, her energy when I first met her, is just off the charts. When she gets up on stage, it's like all the lights turn on, and she is just incredible and so inspiring. We're so blessed to have her here today. We're going to talk about um, her one book that just came out, The uh, Spirit Hunger, and it uh, really focuses on prayer. Gary, welcome. We're so happy to have you here today. Hi. Glad to be here with you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background in history to get us started so people can get to know you. Tell us a little bit about your story. Sure, I'd love to. Well, um, I, I always say I'm kind of gutsy with God um, because I had a really um, bizarre childhood that led me to this point where I just was so um, kind of overwhelmed with life and needed help to figure out how to go forward. I, I grew up in Colorado and my father was a bank president and my mom was just a kind of a beauty queen from Maryland. He had married her there and then brought her back to Colorado. And um, their marriage was very troubled. There was problems in it. And one night um, my mom told him the marriage was over. And that night my dad was in a massive car accident, which left him a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. And um, my mom, in order to kind of handle that, my dad had been very much a playboy and very, very popular and charismatic. But, you know, he, the night of his wreck, everything changed. And so my mom started to drink to cope, and she was very sick with alcoholism. So being the oldest of three kids, I kind of just took charge. I raised my younger brothers and sisters, and, and I just said, well, I, you know, by the time I got to college age, I said, I'm out of here. I'm done. And so I, I went to college and noticed that I started to struggle with a lot of issues with food. And it was at that point where I saw kind of no way out from my heartache with both compulsive overeating and anorexia. Believe it or not, sometimes you can be both. And I was just so sick in that whole life. 
um, that I, I really just cried out to the Lord, save me, save my life, help me to live differently. And that's when everything for me changed. And I was dating a baseball star at the time. Uh, his name's Bobby, Bobby Meacham. And he went on to be a first round draft pick and very successful in pro ball, in baseball. He played for the Yankees. Um, and so really our life has been amazing. Um, me just really surrendering over and over and over everything about who I am, you know, to God and the same for Bobby, really, as a ball player. He's a coach now, and uh, our kids are grown. We had three kids ourselves, and, you know, I just always had a heart to write. I wanted to write my stories and write the great things I had seen. Did you have a, uh, a relationship yeah. with God before this happened, and did Bobby have a relationship with him, um, and how did that come to be? Yeah, no, I knew nothing about God. I mean, I was raised in a small um, I went to a small private school, and I, I mean, I had heard about God, but it was very much like statue up against the wall type understanding. You know, I didn't know that you could love Jesus yourself and really have this relationship. And Bobby, um, after I changed so radically, you know, when I, um, when I asked the Lord uh, to be the Lord of my life, Bobby was kind of like, what the world has happened to you? You know, he just didn't understand that. But it was actually through baseball and and through, you know, my, my, my love for the Lord that he came to know the Lord too. Baseball has great chapel that, they call it baseball chapel. Guys come into the ballparks and, and talk and pray and explain things. So he came to know the Lord very shortly after I did. So we've, we've served the Lord together for 35 years. We've been married now. Wow, that's amazing because a lot of times one person may get there and the other person doesn't. So you did that during your dating period and created a marriage and had faith together and had that walk together. That's awesome. Right, so right. About, started to talk about before I rudely interrupted you. Um, tell us a little bit about how you started to write. Yes, sure. Well, it's funny, um, Melanie and Jen, maybe you have felt this way in your own lives too, but I knew I wanted to write when I was 20 years old. I knew I wanted to write a book, um, and I would just cry as I read nonfiction authors that, that taught things and explained things, and I, I just knew I wanted to do that. But it wasn't till 20 years later that I got my first book published. And I just say that as an encouragement to anybody that wants to be a writer. You know, if you have that desire, you stay with that. You keep getting better at your craft. I actually wrote for magazines. I wrote for a sports magazine for about eight years, doing a lot of sports features and a lot of other magazines. I would have my own, you know, my own articles or my own little column and um, really just kept pursuing the craft and then wrote my first book. It's called Truly Fed, Finding Freedom from Disordered Eating. It's actually my whole story about food and how I got free from all of that. And so that got picked up by a publishing house and I was thrilled with that. But then um, it was about two or three days, two or three years later, I, I got a multi-book deal um, with HarperCollins um, to write, you know, just on a variety of topics, not just food. And so that's where, where my other books have come in. It's exciting. Now, did you have a certain discipline when you were writing? 
Oh, can you say that again? I'm sorry. Did you have a certain discipline um, to be able to write the content of your books? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, when I'm writing a book, I am very focused on, you know, the, the beginning and the end, like how to get that pulled together. And so um, a lot of times when I write, I've actually taught a series of classes to people live on on the topic. Um, that's pretty much been the case with everything. I first started by teaching people the concepts of both, you know, of all my books, Truly Fed and Spirit Hunger, Watershed Moments, and the new one that I'm working on titled Called, Around Calling. Um, so I get to kind of test the material out with people, and I would suggest to anybody that wants to write, you know, test your content out on small groups. I was fortunate to have large groups of, of people um, and have kind of events planned around whatever I was going to try to write on. And so I could really test it and see, you know, what resonates, what doesn't. Um, that's real important for a nonfiction writer to have that audience and have your, your material really sort of um, experienced by others. And that, that tends to be the way that I go about it. So um, a lot of times publishing houses say it would be better if I did it the flip side, like write the book and then <laughs> test it out in the bigger groups that I have some access to. But I just seem to do it reverse because I really want to make sure that material is going to work, that it's powerful and meaningful. Well, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, we teach, um, we teach all of our clients and those who want to become an author to think about what you're already doing that you can repurpose your content. And it's interesting that you just took the classes that you were teaching and put that into a book. But you're, it was almost like your test market where you could actually get feedback and you can get more content because you're teaching that class and you're already writing materials to teach it. And then you can just put all compile it all into one book. So I think that's wonderful, and I think that's great that that, that you do it that way because then you know that that's something what your audience wants to know because you've got the questions. You know, you're in you're in the group. So right, right. Well, one of the biggest challenges for me was when I went to write Spirit Hunger. I had to. Um, I was working with an excellent editor. This man does John Piper's work, and you know all these really just deep authors and it was the first time I really worked with an editor like that and I was a little overwhelmed <laughs> but he kept pushing me and I think I thank God for it he kept pushing me to not just make it sound like a class but to really make it um, powerful storytelling which is always the challenge in nonfiction you know to make your work sound um, as if you're sitting down and telling stories with someone but you're still embedding a lot of powerful teaching in it and he I give him such credit he really taught me how to do that and um, it, it just makes for a better book it makes for a better experience for a reader mm -hmm. and that's important that it wasn't just an editor like people think of editors as just the grammar um, but it's someone that pushes you and makes you more creative and takes your book to another level I think that's why it's so important to work with someone don't you oh Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's important to work with someone that will challenge you, you know, because if just your buddies and friends are reading your material, often they'll just think it's fantastic, <laughs> and which is great, we need that too, but I think it's important to work with people that are going to have a good um, 
critical and inspirational eye, not just critical, but inspirational to help to help us really um, know where to change and how to change. I think that's you know how to change our our perhaps our angle on certain things or our perspective on certain things that we're writing. It's critical. It's good. What do you think you've done on the marketing side? I know you have now. You have a, a larger publishing house that's done your work. We have so many authors that have even gotten to the point where they've written their book, but they're like, "Well, now what? How do I make a platform out of that?" Kind of walk us through what's worked for you in that arena. Yes. Oh, wow. I know both you, um, Melanie and Jen, know that. Um, sadly, and I really say sadly because I think this is an important point. It seems that oftentimes publishing houses are looking more for that platform than even the quality content um, because nowadays with social media and you know the popularity of, of you know being able to really reach those broad audiences through social media, um, I think that it's it's become um, it's become a little bit watered down where not always the best books are making it. It's sometimes just the more popular platforms that are making it. But I will tell you that I signed a giant deal um, with Zondervan, which is part of HarperCollins, and I was virtually unknown at the time. And But what happened after that was difficult because the pressure then became, you know, we gave you this good deal. Now, why are you not performing, you know, to this, to this point? Because um, they, at the time, were, I think, looking for another Beth Moore, and they said, you're it. And you know what? There's only one Beth Moore, <laughs> and I'm not it. You know, I love Beth, but I just couldn't match up to those standards. And I had many, many tearful, tearful, sleepless nights trying to figure out, you know, how do I get more speaking engagements, and how do I do this, and how do I do that? And I, I ended up speaking to a talented editor um, that was at Zondervan, not the one that I worked with closely, but a different woman. And I said to her just tearfully, how do I do this? How can I increase this platform and she said Gary there's no substitute for just the hard work and the time it takes to really nurture an audience or a tribe or a flock or whatever you want to call it you know those people that are really going to get behind your message and that you can interact with and love that's the key you know loving your audience and be authentic with your audience and so you know I, I counsel countless um, writers and speakers and I kind of reiterate what she said to me just do the hard work of nurturing your audience don't worry about getting the giant numbers you know that other people do and the biggest thing about platform is not comparing yourself to other successful people it is a dead end and I see pastors falling to it authors just falling off um, the road to the comparisons you start to feel so overwhelmed that you're not as good as or speaking at as many things or you know uh, your book perhaps doesn't look as popular as this person's or this person's getting more attention or whatever oh my word I just think we just lose the, the power of what Christ is trying to do through our message and through who we are when we get sidetracked like sidetracked like that but you know um, Melanie what I do really to build that platform is I I take a lot of speaking engagements big or small and sometimes people are reticent to take the smaller engagements you know because they want just the bigger things but I take all kinds of engagements and really it's word of mouth when you do well at one 
and you nurture those friendships and those relationships, then they will want they will want you back and they'll talk to their friends about having you on or having you come speak at their event. So I think um, just doing that hard work of, of nurturing your audience is critical. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it's interesting that you said, you know, you signed a great, a good deal with the publisher and with their, their uh, marketing company, did you say? But then they were mm -hmm. looking to you to actually do it. So they weren't saying, okay, we've signed you up on 20 speaking gigs. They were saying, you go and find them, right? Right, yeah. right. But exactly. Yeah, important for just all authors and beginning or already authors to understand that you have to either hire a marketing person or you have to go and do the marketing work yourself. So whether you hire the person who knows how to do the social media for you or you actually do it yourself, you have to build that platform um, and if, or you can hire, you know, you can get on different speaking tours and different people have that kind of thing in your niche which you can find those out there but you have to go find them or you hire a marketing person to find them for you. And I think that's important for people to understand because a lot of times people think, well, I'm just going to go get a great, a big publisher and they're going to sign me and I'm going to make all these millions of dollars. Where, no, you have to put in the work. And I like that you let everyone know that. Yeah, and you know what? It's worthy work. You know, you think about it. Um, I, I mean, I had a, a whole marketing team um, at my fingertips, you know, through Zondervan. And, and, I look back on that time frame. I didn't even know what was going on. <laughs> I wasn't. In, I wasn't. I've never been impressed with myself. You know. I mean, why would you be? But I, I mean, it's just not. Ew, you know, that whole scene is weird to me. But I. I didn't even know what I had access to, and they. They did work hard for me. But all of a sudden, you know, you just kind of get that message that it's really up to you um, to nurture those relationships. And I think that we have to keep our eyes on the prize, which is God's glory, you know, not our popularity. And, and I think that's the message that needs to be full circle, especially with um, social media. You know, it's really a popularity game, and it's a lot of pressure for authors nowadays. I have many, I know many, many amazing authors that have sold a zillion books that are leaving the industry because they say they just can't keep up with the demands, which are not just to write good books anymore. Um, the demands are to have this incredible presence all across social media and you know within the marketing realm. And so I think that I'm not discouraged by it anymore. I get it. You know, you dance the dances that you have to dance um, for the glory of God. So if it's nurturing a Facebook audience or a um, you know Instagram audience or um, all the new ways we have besides those two really foundational ways, you know, Twitter, um, all the new ways we have to engage audiences is great. Just like what you all are doing right here, right now. This is great. With Meerkat on the other side, we've got uh, a double okay. audience going. But I love how you said it's really, if you think about it more, not about you being popular or you being the one, it's the message. It's about making the message popular. And especially, well, really in nonfiction, it's making someone else's life better, spreading that message of how to inspire, motivate, educate someone with the message that you have and keep it about that and not about you personally. So you kind of have to take yourself out of that box and say you have to use yourself as the conduit, but it's really about the message. Well said. No, you got it. That's exactly right. 
Yeah. And um, so let's talk a little bit about, give me your favorite successful story that got you the most out of your platform or book to spread your message, and what was your favorite, oh my gosh, this was the worst crash and burn ever, don't ever do this. <laughs> oh gosh, I have so many. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I would say that um, in terms of the best success story and, and and how something came fruitful from that. When I started to want to write my book, Spirit Hunger, um, I had this really collection of experiences in my life where I just saw that I, I really wanted to get, I call it gutsy with God. Not just believing in Him, but actually believing Him you know, that, that things could change, that I could do things. And we had gone through a series of um, really interesting events in baseball. We had prayed for 16 years for Bobby to get back to the major leagues as a coach. He had been there as a player, but then he was in the minor leagues for 16 years. That's a long time um, to pray the same thing. And I started to notice that there were women and men all over that were frustrated with prayer and belief and weren't sure you know, I mean, they believed in God, but they, they weren't really gutsy with God. They hadn't really s stepped out to believe that certain things could change in their lives or in, in the lives of the people they prayed for. So I had this idea, and I kept trying to get it out. You know, Truly Fed, my, my first book, was already published. But I, tried to, I was trying to get this idea out and was not having any success. You know, often what you send out just sits on a desk, somebody's desk somewhere, and then goes in the trash. Um, in terms of proposals and stuff. So I decided to go to a writer's conference, uh, which was in California, Northern California, Mount Hermon uh, Christian Writers Conference. So I went there, and I just pitched and pitched and pitched. I, I, it was miserable. I was just so miserable because I hate having to do that, but I just kept saying, I think we have this longing inside this. Our hungers, our spirits are hungering for something, and it just feels like people aren't getting that satisfied. And so I kept describing that in this gutsy thing with God. And um, by the end, one of the authors, or excuse me, one of the editors from a, a large house there pulled me aside and said, you know, I think we want you. And then a couple of other publishing houses got in that game and, you know, kind of they all decided I, kind of, I got to choose where I, it was going to go. But I got to thinking about it. Really, that came from desperation like I have this message that I know is good and I know should get out and how am I gonna get it there and so I did my work you know I researched where are these new first-time authors getting picked up you know where are these things happening and I went to this conference and and it was just a real success time for me um, I also have to joke that I had it I had wanted an agent a literary agent and I wanted one particular one this woman that I wanted so bad and she rejected me the first time I tried to get her she said no thank you <laughs> to representing me and then this second time I went with spirit hunger and that idea and that whole gutsy thing I just practically knocked her down on the sidewalk and said I want to sit down and talk to you and we did and she didn't even remember rejecting me she didn't even remember me at all but this time she said I want you and you know we wanted each other and and so it was really neat. And I think I just share that just to say, you know, the perseverance. If you have a message 
to share. If you believe God has put something on your heart that's important for people to know, then you just really need to sort of stop at, no at nothing to get that message out. And in terms of crash and burn, oh gosh, I, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> really, um, you know, to be honest, the last book that I was to do with, with, um, with Zondervan, um, we, we had to take it off the table because of the whole push for popularity. They wanted me to write on topics that I had no knowledge of, and I was trying to do it because I'm that type of person. If they tell me to do something, I'll do it, but I couldn't make it work. Um, they weren't anything that I felt called to write or that I knew anything about. They were just trying to get something that perhaps would sell, and um, and so it just didn't work out, and that was painful. I cried so many tears over that. But you know what? God had a different plan, and it was a good plan, and so I had to just let that go. And, um, you know, again, it's not about us. It's about his message coming through us and his glory. And so I don't know, Melanie, it's a great question. I hope I answered it okay. But I think that was uh, great. And let's talk, let's get into the meat of your book now. Let's talk, I just love um, how you put, you know, be gutsy with God. I just, uh, that's, that's such a great way to put it because so many of us are timid and, and step back and don't realize to ask for more and to push and to be gutsy and have that belief. So give us some key elements to your book that, that show that. Yes, well, I feel that, um, you know, I, I kind of start the book out talking about these longings that we have. And everybody has these longings inside. We're built with them. God created us with them. But we often just fill them with such lesser things. And our real longing is to engage God, like to engage him in this powerful way. And the way we engage God is prayer. And I talk about, um, I love this quote from Richard Foster, who's one of the great writers on prayer and the discipline of prayer. And he says, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. Because when I wrote Spirit Hunger, I, I researched and found that there were more books written on prayer than any other topic in Christianity. And I went, great, now I'm writing another one, you know, what am I going to say that's different? But my whole, my whole thing is I shared a lot of stories in my own life um, of times where I was just up against the wall. One of the things I love in Spirit Hunger is when I talk about uh, my oldest daughter, Brooke. We raised a prodigal. We raised a prodigal. She became a prodigal after um, a horrible event her freshman year of college. She was drugged and and raped. And so that started a just a digress digression in her life of drinking and cutting and bulimia and really just giving herself away um, sexually. And so at a point of absolute insanity for me as a mother and feeling that she might not make it through her life. I mean, she was just on the verge of such death. Um, the Lord showed me a way to pray through that because I remember I was getting dressed. I was standing at my closet and God just said to me so clearly, do you believe I'm bigger than this destruction? And I weakly said back to him, yes, but inside no. I mean, it just seemed so overwhelming. And it was then that I went after this new way to pray. And I talk about it a lot in Spirit Hunger. Um, 
based on a scripture in Habakkuk that says, record the vision so the one who reads it may run, and though it may tarry, wait for it, it will come. So I started calling this vision prayer, and I started to just really pray about what specific things I wanted to see in my daughter's life as, as her womanhood progressed. And, and oh my goodness, I, I, I wrote it all out because I talk about in the book, I talk about the difference between ditch prayer, when we pray just from sort of like in a ditch and in a rut, and vision prayer, when we pray vision, because the Bible says people without vision perish, and I believe prayer without vision perishes. And so I started to pray a whole different way, and it was life-changing for me. I mean, just absolutely life-changing. And we just celebrated Brooke's wedding in Hawaii in January, and it was the fruit of eight years of vision prayer. And I think sometimes we just need help you know, to, to understand how to engage God. Jesus said to ask and to seek and to knock. And so it sounds so easy, but it really isn't, you know, because I think the asking starts us and the seeking um, frustrates us or confuses us. And then the knocking just plain irritates us. So I really talk about all that and the reality of it. So what would you say are the three things to create a vision prayer that you need? Yes. Well, with vision prayer, I think you need to be very authentic with God. It's not formulaic, you know, where it's like this, this, and this. You know, I think first off, you need to be very authentic and say, this is my heartache. This is my surrender. This is my longing. Um, and so just that authenticity first. Second, you need to um, be prepared, like the scripture says in Habakkuk, to record the vision. So get a, get a tablet, paper, pencil, whatever, uh, your laptop, and start thinking in terms of what you're praying for. Um, for instance, with Brooke, um, some of the things I was praying for is that she would um, see herself as God saw her. You know, that she would stop... Um, some of the, the absolute destruction in her life. Um, and the only way that happens would be through the miraculous unlayering of, of the way that she had lived. And so I prayed specifically for every layer of her life, and I wrote it all out, you know, um, the layers of self-destruction, mutilation, bulimia, all the things that she was doing. I really had a specific prayer plan for that. And, and, and then going forward, a man that would someday love her with all her scars. And I talked about that man and, and, you know, just really wrote out my heart cry for her. And then I say that you choose two or three scriptures, not a lot of scriptures, just two or three to lay over this. And, and every day when you start to feel, feel the worry come on, you start praying your vision prayer. And I kept mine on a little card with me. I carried that thing for a good four or five years before I rewrote it. It was practically bare. You know, I had held it and touched it and cried on it so long. But I really specify how to do that well in the book um, and the difference between ditch prayer and vision prayer. Because sometimes what we think is praying with vision or with hope is really just reactive, you know, to what we're seeing and what we're feeling. There's no proactive prayer or no proactive vision there um, as to how we're asking God and seeking and knocking, you know, for change. 
Does that answer your question? Yes. Is that okay? <laughs> Good. And you know, you left enough for us to uh, kind of whet our appetite. So, um, for those of you who would like to know more detail about how to be, uh, how to pray with vision, um, and how to quench that hunger for prayer that your soul is searching for, please get Gary's book. Gary, tell us your website and uh, where they can get in touch with you to be a speaker for their event and to get your materials. Yes, great. Well, you can reach me, and please do. I love hearing from people. It's my favorite thing. You can reach me just at GaryMeacham.com. It's G-A-R-I-M-E-A-C-H-A-M.com. And um, all my books are available, you know, everywhere. Um, Amazon uh, um, is a great place because they're, they're cheaper. But um, And uh, I don't sell the books from my website, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, anywhere that you like to get books, you can get them. And Spirit Hunger is also on an audio book. Um, and there's a workbook that I wrote and a DVD series that if you want to gather people um, and just do it, or if you're from a church and you want to do it, um, in a group at a church, it's it's a great it's a great study to do in that way as well. Great, we'll put your website at the bottom so people can go there, and we'll also put your Amazon book on our website at eliteonlinepublishing.com. Oh, that's great! That's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming, Gary. You were so inspirational. I hope, um, uh, I know I got a lot out of it. I'm sure everybody did. And Meerkat, thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it as well. So please subscribe to Hot Chicks Write Hot Books podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Push it, push it, push it. And share um, our podcast with all of your friends because we're going to have more author experts on to share how they wrote their books and their expertise so we can learn and grow and be inspired. So we'll see you next time. Um, and if you would like your book published, we would love to help you at Elite Online Publishing. And um, please come to one of our book writing retreats. You can find us at Elite Online Publishing or bookwritingretreats.com. And again, we'll have Gary's book and all her materials there for sale. We'll include, Gary, your workbook and your audio series and DVD series, too. We'd love to have all of your stuff there so um, our following can find that, too. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Elite Online Publishing, the brand-building publisher. They help you write, sell, and market your book online. Check them out at EliteOnlinePublishing.com. Also, by Book Writing Retreats. Spend six days at the beach and have your book written by the time you get home. Check out BookWritingRetreats.com and find your way to the beach to write your book.